Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora. Just a warning, this episode of Black Sheep deals with abortion and infanticide. Some people might find it distressing, so feel free to skip this episode if you want. It's nearly midnight. We're at a house in West Shore, Napier. It's 1938. The city's only recently been rebuilt after the earthquake of 1931, and this house is now in a nice upmarket part of town. Its owner, 51-year-old Annie Aves, is in bed. A man's in her room. His name's Robert, and he later tells the police that he was just a visiting friend. But given the time of night and that Annie was a widow, there might have been more to that relationship than he was letting on. Anyway, Robert hears a noise outside. And he gets out of bed to answer the door. Annie stumbles back away from the door. She catches hold of Robert. Uh, I'm shot, she says. Robert catches a glimpse of a shadowy figure disappearing from the doorway. Annie Aves died in hospital that night. A 22 caliber bullet had gone straight through her chest. A doctor later commented that she suffered, quote, an amazing amount of injury for so small a bullet. Her funeral drew a crowd, which followed the hearse through the street and covered her coffin in flowers. But when the man who shot Annie Aves was sentenced, the judge all but said she'd brought her death on herself. That's because this judge, Chief Justice Sir Michael Myers, knew Annie Aves very well. She'd been in his courtroom before. The charge? Seven counts of using an instrument with intent to procure a miscarriage. Annie Aves was an abortionist. A very famous one. I mean, if people got convicted, they uh, could have a, a serious sentence, but in the case of Annie Aves, she was never convicted. That's Barbara Brooks. She's a history professor at Otago University and author of A History of New Zealand Women. Annie was born in 1889 in the small town of Waipawa in central Hawke's Bay. Her early life was tragic. Her father committed suicide while her mother was pregnant and her mother died when she was three. She left school and went into domestic service. When she was 20, she married a grape grower, John Craig, who was more than twice her age. I'm not sure that was so unusual, that you might find uh, age gaps of that kind in other couples. Two children, but they are separated in in the mid-1920s, where they would have been married for, what, about 12 years? Would that have been quite unusual for the time? Well, actually, we 
One of my uh, colleagues, Emeritus Professor Raymond Dalziel, was just in a really interesting study of bigamy in 19th century New Zealand, and it was much more common than we imagine, because divorce was expensive. John died 11 years later in 1931, and she remarried the next year, this time to a music teacher called Charles Aves. We don't know for sure, but it would make sense that it's around this time that Annie begins her illegal trade in abortion. It's right in the middle of the Great Depression. She needs the money, and people need her services. Many women said they just couldn't afford another mouth to feed. If your methods of contraception were basically abstinence or coitus interruptus... Neither of which have a great track, track record. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, you might end up having to bring on your period, as they called it. That question of what to call it is a tricky one, partly because the language of abortion is still controversial today, but also because that language has changed over time. We have a completely different view than people in the 19th century who had no way of visualising a fetus, so mm. they just imagined they were bringing on a period. The notion of quickening was at the time they felt the child was alive, so that's generally about the third or fourth month of pregnancy when you feel the child move. So before that, they didn't have a conception of killing a living being. It was more just, you know, bringing on your period. Methods also changed over time and depending on what people could afford. Poorer women, particularly in rural regions, sometimes used toxic herbs like hemlock. Māori used the native flax, harakeke, both of which were pretty dangerous, sometimes fatal. Richer women might be able to convince a doctor to perform a dilation and curatage, which was a safer, more medical method, still used today. The halfway point was people like Annie Aves, so-called backstreet abortionists without any formal medical training. Doctors were far less likely to do it because their profession frowned upon it. I did read uh, two accounts of backstreet abortionists in Dunedin, both of whom were male, and one had done, I think, some pharmacy training, so knew about sterilising things. And one of these abortionists used to perform abortions in the back of his car. Jeez. <laughs> so pretty sort of variable in terms of the conditions that they're performed under. That's right. Yeah. And, of course, uh, in that case, I think the women were blindfolded so they couldn't identify him. So long as you avoided being caught, it could be a very lucrative trade. Annie's record book suggests that over one 18-month period, she dealt with 183 clients and earned £2,200. That's well over $200,000 in today's money. And Annie wasn't fussy when it came to who she'd accept as a client. Most abortionists refuse to work with women who are more than three months pregnant, but not Annie Aves. Uh, I think there was one at five months. Mm. There was evidence that one of these children might have actually taken a breath, mm. so might have been born live, so that was akin to infanticide. The law caught up with Annie Aves in 1936. Police dig up infants' bodies. Sensational developments are expected from extensive digging operations undertaken by the police yesterday and this morning on a section in Hastings. It is understood that the police have unearthed a large number of bodies of infants prematurely born. A woman, Isabella Annie Aves, aged 49, of 307 Fitzroy Avenue, Hastings, is in custody and has been charged with the unlawful use of an instrument. There's a tip-off to the police, and the police raid her premises, and they find 
22 collections of fetal remains in the garden. And that's obviously enough to, to get them before the court. Absolutely. The case against Annie Aves looks like an absolute slam dunk. They seize her record books, which outline the payments she received and payments she made for sea tangle tents. Which were a type of seaweed pencil that she inserted into the mouth of the uterus to cause induction of labour. So this was a safer method than the man doing them in the back of his car with some kind of instrument, because you're less likely to perforate the uterus, so it was a safer method. The police also tracked down several of Annie's clients and either convinced or compelled them to testify against her. They might have had little option if the records revealed who they were. They might have been subject to prosecution themselves if they hadn't given testimony. Here's how the Auckland Star reported the testimony of one of these women. You have told us you received a telephone message from Mrs Aves. How do you know it was she speaking? She gave her name. Why did you and the man responsible not marry? Because he was not the man I loved. How did you come to know Mrs Aves or her address if you had never seen her? I got the address from a person in Danny Virk. Testimony like this reveals a few interesting things about Annie Aves. First, she was obviously well-known throughout the North Island. Danaverk's a fair drive from Hastings. One of her other clients came from as far south as Wellington. Also, she seems to have had a kind of personal code for how the abortion should be paid for. Very interestingly, she believed that the men should pay. So one of the pieces of evidence they did find was her IOU book where you know, she would make sure the men uh, paid her and she would even get her solicitor onto them if they hadn't paid. Do you think there was an element of, of feminism there then? Well, yes, I think she felt the women had got into trouble by some man and he, he was the one who should pay. Those record books and the testimony of witnesses also show she had a sliding scale for the fees she charged. For example, there were some married women who recounted the tale of their abortions and they might be charged £10 for the first and then £20 for the second. I think the highest amount she charged was £35. So do you think she was putting a little bit of her, mor- her morality on, on these women, possibly? I don't know. Maybe she felt that once was enough. You know, once was enough with one person as a risk for her because it was a big risk for her as well. Having heard all this evidence, the all-male jury retires and considers its verdict. The next day's headline reads like this. Jury disagrees. Further trial ordered. No agreement was reached by the jury in the Supreme Court today in the trial of Isabella Annie Aves, charged with unlawfully using... A new jury is convened for a retrial. They hear all the evidence again and... Jury again disagree in Hastings' case. No agreement was reached by the jury in the Supreme Court today in the retrial of Isabella... So now we have a third trial. Maybe it'll be third time lucky. Another trial. Thrice allowed freedom on bail because of the disagreement of juries. Isabel any Usually, after three juries fail to reach a verdict, the Solicitor General issues a stay of proceedings. But the decision's made to push ahead for trial number four. Fourth jury disagrees. The failure of the fourth jury to reach a verdict after hearing the trial of Mrs Isabel Annie Aves on seven charges of using an instrument with intent to procure a miscarriage has resulted in the Solicitor General deciding to file a stay of proceedings. (laughs) 
So why did four juries fail to reach a verdict on Annie Ames? Obviously the deliberations are secret, so we'll never really know the answer for sure. But Barbara Brooks has some pretty good guesses. Perhaps the fact that she actually chased the men rather than the women made her seem like she was doing a social service. You know, most communities put pressure on men to marry when they got a, a woman pregnant outside of wedlock. And I'm sure some men probably initiated it and suggested it to whoever they'd made pregnant that this might be a best outcome for everybody concerned. Also, there was the question of whether the clients who testified against Annie could be considered reliable witnesses. The woman involved was an accomplice to the crime. She'd sought the abortion. So juries were not likely to take their testimony seriously. It's also worth remembering that up until the 1920s, there were a series of horrific baby farming cases where people would offer to adopt babies for a fee only to neglect them and sometimes simply kill them. The juries in Annie's trials might have seen illegal abortions as a necessary alternative to straight-out infanticide. It is horrific, but the other side of that is, and again, this is slightly true of Annie Ave's clients, that young women were often very vulnerable. If you're a domestic servant in a house and you get pregnant, and domestic, servant, domestic service was the main occupation of women up until the late 1930s, you will lose your job if you're pregnant. And if the man of the house is the one responsible, you'll have to leave pretty rapidly. And where will you go? You won't get another job. You know, and some of the great 19th century novels deal with these questions about infanticide, don't they? Like um, Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Um, so, yeah. Regardless of the reason, after four trials and four hung juries, Annie Aves is a free woman. But not before the judge, Chief Justice Sir Michael Myers, had a few parting words. If the jury in this case had returned a verdict of not guilty, I would have accepted their verdict loyally and without question, even though I may have thought that it was wrong. The jury apparently found some difficulty and have not been able to agree upon the question, presumably as to whether you were the actual person who committed these offences. I don't know, of course, whether or not that is the precise question on which the jury differed. All I can say is this. I recommend you see that your household in future is not carried on in such a way by anyone as that you may be brought before the court again on a charge of this kind. Because if you are, you may not be so fortunate as you are on this occasion. Annie can't have taken that warning from the judge particularly seriously because two years later, in 1938, she's back at work. This time she sets up shop in Napier, that big house on West Shore where we began this story. One of her clients is a 19-year-old woman called Alice Stafford, who's become pregnant with her boyfriend of two years, 21-year-old Colin Hercock. So they were going out together, and she, when she found she was pregnant, she wanted to terminate quite early, as soon as she found out she was pregnant, but he tried to dissuade her, and he wanted to marry her, but she didn't want to marry him, it seems, or she didn't want to get married and be, have a child straight away. So she was quite determined to have an abortion, but he kept trying to stop her. So he must have felt very deeply um, that abortion was wrong or that 
he didn't want his own child aborted, I guess. And yet he did actually take her to see the abortionist. So Yes, he did. So he gave in to her in the end, and who knows what negotiation went on over that. It's not a happy story, but it's about to take a darker turn. He goes back the next day and she's really ill, so he wants her to go to a doctor, but she refuses. So he then goes and actually gets a doctor and brings the doctor to the house. And the doctor says, well, she must go to hospital. She's got blood poisoning. It it seems like there was probably some uh, perforation, some infection caused. So she's taken off in the ambulance. Colin Hercock is worried sick, and when he arrives at the hospital, he gets the worst possible news. He's told his girlfriend, the woman he wanted to marry, has died. We can only imagine his state of mind having initially been against the abortion, then being talked around by his girlfriend, only for it to end with her death. He lashes out. He borrows a twenty-two rifle from his brother and gets a taxi to Annie Ave's house. And in an almost Shakespearean twist, it turns out Colin's girlfriend never died at all. Nobody's ever been able to explain how this miscommunication happened. Some sort of mix-up at the hospital, maybe. Alice recovered and actually gave evidence at Colin's trial. In that trial, Colin's lawyer argues he didn't mean to kill Annie Aves, that he only meant to give her, quote, the fright of her life. We'll never know if that's true, but the jury accepts it and finds him guilty of manslaughter, not murder. He's sentenced to 12 years in prison with hard labour, reduced to seven after an appeal. And in another ironic twist, the judge in Colin Hercock's trial is Sir Michael Myers, the same judge who warned Annie against continuing as an abortionist. He had some parting words for Colin too. Here's how they were reported in the Evening Post. In passing sentence, his honour commented that from the observations of the accused's counsel, one might almost think that the accused should be ranked as a hero. I do not so regard you, he said. I know that some two years ago Annie Aves was charged with a series of offences, and in the face of the most convincing and conclusive evidence, four juries were unable to agree. If she had been dealt with as she should have been, this tragedy would not have happened. Nevertheless, she is entitled to her life, and that you have destroyed. Annie Aves is a complex figure. There are lots of different factors to keep in mind. On one hand, you have to consider the degree to which she was motivated by money, and she did make a lot of money. You also have to keep in mind that she performed extremely late-term abortions. As Barbara said, in one case, there might have actually been a live birth. Late-term abortion is still a jailable offence today, except in the most extreme circumstances. On the other hand, you have to consider that, as far as we can tell, Annie Ave's methods were pretty safe. The case involving Alice and Colin is the only one we know of where anything went badly wrong. She seemed to be much liked, actually. I mean, that's one of the interesting things. There was a great uh, following at her funeral. She seemed to be known by many people in the Napier-Hastings area. So they must have had a personal liking for her, I think. Special thanks to Barbara Brooks. 
If you like Black Sheep, please take the time to give us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us out. Also, check out RNZ's other great podcasts. You can find them on iTunes, on the series and podcast page at rnz.co.nz or on our new app. If you need a laugh, why not try out our comedy series, Go Ahead Caller. Self-proclaimed talkback king Ken Oath will give you an opinion on, well, pretty much anything. Next week on Black Sheep, the story of a radical poet whose writings are still beloved by neo-Nazis and white supremacists to this day. Mitre's right is the purest expression of his desire for world domination. And really, he didn't want anything less. Black Sheep was written and presented by me, William Ray. The executive producer was Tim Watkin. This episode was engineered by Phil Benge. Our voice actors this week were Duncan Smith, Adam McCauley, Megan Whelan and Simon Dickinson. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.